Welcome to episode 111 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Vicki Tan. She's a designer at Lyft. Previously, she did research at Google. And she comes from a really interesting background, which we'll get into. Uh, before we do, a couple things. First, if you want to hear more podcasts about design and development, go to spec.fm. That's our network that we've created. Uh, there's six podcasts on there right now. More coming soon. All aimed at helping designers and developers level up. So again, that's at spec.fm. And second, before we get into the episode, is we want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. Yeah, we've got two of our favorites back, and that's Dropbox and Wayno. Wayno, you've heard them on the show. We talk about them a lot. They're one of our favorite agencies. They're doing killer work for some of the coolest clients in the world, from Red Bull to Dropbox, Airbnb, Google, Reuters, Cisco, Lonely Planet. The list is insane. And the company's not that old. Their design team is incredible. We've gotten to meet a bunch of them and hang out here in San Francisco. We've got three locations all around the world, New York, San Francisco, and Iceland. Yes. So if you're near there, definitely hit up their team. Go meet with them. If you want a job, go to wayno.co, U-E-N-O.co. Hit the careers link in the header and tell them we sent you. They are hiring for designers. Basically, they're sponsoring the show because they want you to know that they exist. They are supporting what we do with the podcast. So the least you can do is go check them out. They're at wayno.co, U-E-N-O.co, or go lurk on their dribble. Like, they're Dribble it's is insane. Unbelievable. But seriously, if you're looking for a job, they are like the best place you could go in client services. They're a truly incredible team. So again, that's Wayno.co. Huge thank you, Wayno and Hallie and the whole team for sponsoring the show. Second sponsor, Dropbox. Dropbox is the syncing service that keeps all your files on all your devices. Or not, depending on what you choose. <laughs> I use Selective Sync aggressively. It's the best tool, but I can use that in combination with previous versions, things like that. And like they have the best sharing tool across the board. What does all this mean? It means that all of your files are on all your devices all at the same time, no matter where. If one of your devices explodes, if you drop your phone in the water, all of your stuff's still safe. And that's beautiful. If you have multiple computers, multiple devices, uh, you're traveling, it's a godsend. For me, it's keeping all my files in sync between home and the office, between Bryn's computer and my computer and my phone so we can have all of our podcast stuff on the go. It's so simple, so seamless, and it's really easy to set up. It's customizable, configurable. You can send files to anyone. It's your box. You can choose to drop it or not. It's totally fine. Again, we use it for everything. If you aren't using them, you should go check it out. Uh, Go to dropbox.com, poke around, sign up, and start keeping your files safe. Yeah. Thanks once again to Dropbox. And with that, let's get to episode 111. Triple ones. Triple one. With Vicky Tan. So I'm Vicky, and I like listening to podcasts. Good start. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Off to a good track. What <laughs> else do you like? I like the color black. Whoa. I wear shit. a lot of black. I didn't realize okay. that. You're wearing full, all full black. Full design mode. <laughs> it's, it's very practical. If I spill anything on myself. <laughs> As you do. Right? Yeah, I do a lot. Or, or if I'm like not sure what to wear in the morning, it simplifies. It's kind of like the Obama thing. It's like one less decision to make. The Obama thing? I was yeah. going to say the Zuckerberg thing. Uh, Z- oh, I think they both do it. And Steve Jobs. So Obama, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, and me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, good Decent company. company. Good yeah. company. And so if you've got all these, you have just get buy like a couple of black things that you like a lot, like high quality black things. Talk to, talked with Mackie about this. God, high quality <laughs> black things. And then any every morning, all you have to do is like, okay, black jeans, which slip-ons, which black shirt, and that always matches. And you always look pretty like chic at work. <laughs> <laughs> Pro tips. Yeah. And uh, then, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what? And then you just have to make your... Make sure your bangs are right. <laughs> yeah, those are some like hardcore bangs. Those are the bangingest bangs. <laughs> it's it's kind of become a thing at work because I have a comb that I carry <laughs> around. Because San- it's just if you have bangs, you have to consider these things. Like San Francisco's windy. Mm-hmm. If you have bangs, you have to consider these. <laughs> you just have to. I'll just comb them every once in a while, and everyone's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "What are you not doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Combing my bangs. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. The, the important question. Yep. What kind of motorcycle? I have a CB77. It's a super oh. It's a 305, and it was my 
first real real motorcycle, like grown up motorcycle. Grown Prior up motorcycle. to that, I had like a Yamaha YG5. It was like a trail mm-hmm. bike. Um, and then before that, I got into motorcycles. This is gonna sound like hipster. I was riding a moped. <laughs> Not only was it a Classic. moped, it was a Pook Magnum, which means it was like a, a top tank, and it was all powder coated. It was like powder coated purple and white with like uh, <laughs> turquoise, like mint, you know, accents. That is hipster. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, mint and white. <laughs> Sorry, but now you have an adult motorcycle. Yes, exactly. And you recently rode it through Vietnam? I rode a motorcycle through Vietnam because- Yeah, you don't this... bring your own bike with you, dude. <laughs> Not Come on. that motorcycle. <laughs> I rode a different, it was, it's called a Honda Sufat Win. And, um, don't know that one. <laughs> it's kind of crappy and little. It was like a 110. <laughs> Ooh, that'd but, be rough. Uh, we went there. So we started in Ho Chi Minh City and then we bought motorcycles and then rode them all the way up the, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which is like very historic, and then sold them at the end. Nice. And that was yeah. in December, like really recent, right? Yeah, yeah. Through and then made it to Ho Chi Minh, uh, sorry, to Hanoi by New Year. So super exhausted, rode for eight hours in the rain and then like took a quick nap and had to be like, Happy New Year. <laughs> so we rallied. What was the best part of the trip? It was probably halfway through. So, so Vietnam is kind of like the West Coast in that like if you ride from San Diego to Portland or something, it'll go from very hot to very rainy. And Vietnam is kind of like that too. So we started off in the hot Ho Chi Minh City and then we hit this midpoint and then it was rainy from from then on. It was kind of miserable in a good way. Um, yeah, riding motorcycles in the rain is not fun. <laughs> miserable in a all. good way. Mm-hmm. It's not fun, especially if you must make it to the end to leave. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> no but choice. On the halfway point, there's something called the High Van Pass. And if you ever go to like Hanoi or... Hoi An, sorry, all this sound the same. Um, but if you go there, you can ride this pass. It's kind of like the, um, I don't know, it's like our, it's like the Mount Tam of Vietnam, or like the Mount Tam of <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> it's like, it's just beautiful. Viet Tam, yeah, Viet Tam, <laughs> and and you're riding sort of, you're winding up along these these mountains, and it's it's beautiful, and you kind of break through the clouds, and. It's just like a lovely ride and a lovely view. And you can stop for like coconuts on the way. And um, there was a couple taking their wedding photos at the very, very top of the pass. And there was like a little, you know, photographer's assistant holding out her like whatever bride train thing. Yeah. (laughs) And it was just like this epic view. Um, But it was a nice like lead up. And then from there it was downhill. Literally. Yeah. Because you went downhill. Yeah. And the, and the rain. Yeah. And then the rain. Okay. Uh, what are you working on? Uh, oh, so I forgot to say the part that I'm a product designer at Lyft. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we got yeah, yeah, to yeah. it. Uh, what I'm working on is, so what I work on in general is the passenger side of the Lyft app, which is the app that what most people see. People see. Yeah. yeah. The other parts of it are the driver side, which is what drivers see. And then there's some enterprise stuff, like um, if you have Lyft for your work, mm-hmm. you could get like a lift home for free after certain hours or something like that. And then we have a couple other things like uh, it's something called NatMed Trans where we allow it's a web product and we allow really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, super, super slick. <laughs> uh, but so did you know that like people in old homes, which we'll have to think about in the next 50 years no. for ourselves. No, we're really approaching that <laughs> fast. <laughs> when you are in an old person home, you don't have a cell phone most of the time. You don't have a smartphone. You don't have a car. But what you do have is a lot of doctor's appointments. And so how do you get to them? These old people home administrators have to call taxis. And you have no way of like tracking like, did, did your old person get to their appointment? Did your old person, <laughs> <laughs> so, did your old person <laughs> get to their appointment? Um, <laughs> what you need is old person tracking shipment. <laughs> You need to place a tile on the old person. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's just this way where you can dispatch a bunch of lifts for the, for all these old people. Because what they were doing before was like putting like 10 cell phones on their table and like calling a bunch of them. Oh my God. It was very low tech, low high tech. That must be the least known lift product yeah, that Nat, exists. Yeah, NatMed Trans. NatMed Trans. I think it's National Medical Transportation. So I, that's my Which guess. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> Branding. So, so. So, so. Colin Mackey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And how long have you been at Lyft? I've been there nearly two years. Nearly two years. Nearly, yeah, like to round up. <laughs> <laughs> year and a half, nearly two years, yeah. counts. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back in time before Lyft, before what you were doing before and before what you were doing before. Um, wow. When I was born. Tell me a little bit about, actually a lot of bit, about your journey to Lyft because it is fascinating and yeah. Unlike anything. Journey to design, man. It's unlike any story we've heard so far, <laughs> truly. Yeah. So how far back should I go? Uh, Wherever um, you want. Mm. Uh, let's start at undergrad. Okay. Cool. Undergrad, I studied behavioral psychology at UCSD, um, which is a great school for music and not for sports. There's no sports teams at UCSD. Good to know. Yeah. Was that a downer for you because you were studying... Behavioral psychology. No, actually, I don't watch any sports now due to that fact. Oh, interesting. I've never been forced to watch sports or drink beer. But what about like MotoGP? <laughs> What's MotoGP? It's like the F1 of motorcycles. It's oh, amazing. I don't know. <laughs> now you Should know. I be? That's the sport that matters. Uh, link, uh, link me. Is that a sport? Yes. Is racing a sport? Mm. Do you think it's not? All right, fair. Okay, whatever. I don't know anything about motorcycles. I actually don't know either. I only know <laughs> one thing about one motorcycle, which is mine. <laughs> like, and that's how to make it go. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was in, uh, sorry, I was in university. I'd originally started off studying biology, but I just couldn't do the organic chemistry. So I switched to psychology because it was, it made a lot of sense to me. Like it, it was like science for the real world. It was like, why do people behave the way they do? And you know, it's, it was a way to explain people who are very mysterious. Okay. And then um, when I graduated there, I honestly, I'm, I'm kind of lazy. Don't tell my, my manager, but I'm They're like, probably a, <laughs> listening. I'm a lazy person. And I felt like I never really enjoyed working during college and, and I wasn't super keen on, on working after. So I had this grand idea. <laughs> that, that was my life. <laughs> <laughs> right? I had this idea that like I'll just stay in school forever because actually school was very enjoyable for me once I found like the thing that I liked. Which was? Which was psychology. Okay. Like behavioral psychology was super interesting. I wasn't sure if it was like an extracurricular. Yeah. Extracurricular. Extracurricular activity. Yeah. Well, no. At the time it was psychology. Um, or just like understanding the things. Um, understanding the things. Under, wait, what? It's my goal. Psychology equals understanding the things. The th things. Yeah, as a sort of general. Wait, that's what it literally means? To me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Uh, so you wanted to stay in school. You wanted to stay in academia. Right. So I'd heard that you should get some experience in research if you want to go do research. So I started working at UCSD, um, and my very first job was at an alcohol lab, alcoholism lab at UCSD, where I would get college students drunk no. off of lab-grade ethanol. So, what? What? Tasty. Sounds like the most miserable super way tasty. to do it. <laughs> and so so uh, ethanol, you know, it's kind of like rubbing alcohol. And and what we would do, also we were trying to understand if alcoholism was... Were you injecting them? They would have to drink it, like oh. through a straw, with no ice, oh. with diet soda, <sighs> while I timed them. Because there's like a op <laughs> there's an optimal like absorption rate. And so I'd be like, all right, drink now, slower, slower. <laughs> anyway, the point was to get them very... Uh, the point was for them to get drunk. Um, and they got paid for this, I assume. Yeah. What well, was even funnier is because they were getting drunk, I had to pick them up. So me, I had to, I had to pick them Where's up. Where's Nat Med Trans? <laughs> Nat Drunk right, Trans. I know. I had to pick them up, get them drunk, take them home. It was like a weird date. <laughs> but but so get them drunk. Oh and then my I'd, God. I'd literally have to do like these cognitive tests, uh, like A1, B2. It was like kind of a weird maze where they'd have to match up these letters and numbers. It was strange. Um, a, a memory recall test, I would strap them into like a the equivalent of like a swayometer to measure how much they were swaying. And the whole point was a to, swayometer. I to love see it. how drunk they were getting because the whole the whole thing behind all of this is like if you're a high responder, a high responder to alcohol, which means like any one person can have a drink and like you can have a big response or a little response, as we know, <laughs> some people get super floored with one and some people can drink like 10 and they're fine. What we found was that people who are high responders to alcohol 
are less likely to become alcoholics. That's it. And then vice versa. So I would give them everyone the same amount and I would just try to see how drunk they got. <laughs> <laughs> you were pretty drunk. <laughs> yeah. And then I would also have to draw their blood. It was like very intense. Anyway, moving on. So did that for a little while. Uh, moved on to UCSF where I worked in pulmonology for a little while. Is that and where Vicky Hart came from? <laughs> no, that's a, also an interesting story. In, in Vicky Hart is her Twitter name. Vicky Hart is my Twitter name. One time someone cited my last name as being Hart, which is wrong. Um, but in high school, I was uh, in high school and college. I was really into underground hip hop, and I my screen name, my AIM screen name, <laughs> this is embarrassing, was Vicky Hart Slug. Do you guys know who? Wait, that Slug is? from Atmosphere? <laughs> yeah. Seriously? Oh. Yeah. Brent's from Minnesota. Oh, okay. I've met Slug. Oh my god, I have two. I have several pictures of me like embracing the Slug him. hugs. <laughs> yeah, embracing him and him looking like super creepy, like like just. That's Slug. That's yeah. how he lives. That's his part of his like persona. So as I as I got a bit older, I just dropped the Slug. Is all. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Atmosphere is probably one of my top played artists in my iTunes, really? which would be high school. Really interesting. So yeah. we align in that way, yes. Aki. Connections. <laughs> yeah. Brian Hart Slug. Brian Hart's like Changing my Twitter handle. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. Thanks. Um, so worked at UCSF Pulmonology, not how I got Vicky Hart. But funny story about that, I had just gotten into a huge accident after moving to San Francisco, like on a on a Yeah, bike. that's hilarious. <laughs> no, oh no, my no, God, no, so no. funny. <laughs> I, it was on a bicycle and I had like fractured my spine and had Whoa, all the shit. stitches. And if, if I move my bangs, you'll see that I have like this sort of big scar on my crazy. forehead. Oh, shit. But I got that job wearing a neck brace and having like 50 stitch black stitches down my forehead. And I feel that I got the job because of pity. <laughs> like I went into the interview and I could barely move my neck. And I They're was like, like, we can't say no to her. Give me this job. <laughs> yeah. On a bicycle. Yeah, on a bicycle. Oh, Holy shit. Just because I was trying to be hipster and riding a non-braked fixed gear bike huh <laughs> so that so that brought you to sf yes the accident <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah so after i left ucsd my family's from up here i grew up in cupertino so I, I decided to come back um so worked at ucsf for a little bit and then uh found a more exciting job at stanford in pediatric oncology uh so i was at lucille packard that, that was exciting no that sounds exhausting <laughs> well, and draining it and is a little hard yeah, really hard but very uh inspiring you'd be surprised like these kids um i feel like you run into like your average eight year old and they're kind of just okay they like take everything for granted and they might be cool but like they're just a kid these kids because of their situation are extra cool and as well, like the doctors, the nurses, and just everyone around them are extra positive. And, and not in this like, you know, self-help positive book way. They're just like- It's not like cheesy. Right. They're genuinely just, it's almost like this, it's kind of, you know, backwards because this crazy thing happened and then they're extra thankful. It's like the zen of shittiness. Yes. The art and zen of shittiness. Someone should write a medium post. <laughs> Done. You're going to do it? Absolutely, I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was there for a couple of years and it's an interesting job working there uh, as like, you know, doing that type of research. It's interesting, um, but it's not, it's it's like fulfilling in, in a extrinsic way, right? Like you're helping these kids. They wouldn't otherwise have treatment. So it's it's crucial for them. And like the cause is interesting and the research output is interesting, but the day-to-day -day is quite uh, tedious. Uh, in short, like if there's a SOP, which stands for Standard Operating P Procedure, if there's a SOP for what you're doing, it means like probably a machine could do it because there's like you're just executing. And you had an SOP? Yeah, it was like, yeah, research sort of, at least that type of research for just for it to be valid, it you just have to follow the same thing over and over and over. And so... I decided it was time to apply to grad school, and I sent out a bunch of applications. No one wanted me except for one school. 
in a city that I didn't want to go to. <laughs> so I got into NYU for social psychology. <laughs> uh, but I just, in the past, like I'd been to New York and I didn't love it. Like it was, it's too hard there. Too hard in what way? It's like the, there's the weather. There's like all the people. <laughs> the people are like str like strong competition. It It sounds weird, but it made me feel, it makes me feel insignificant in New York. Okay. Whereas San Francisco is super chill. So uh, had sort of, that was my plan. And, and I had spent a lot of time applying. You've got to write a big essay sort of thing to get in. And so like after that happened, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I um, had some friends of friends who worked at Google and somebody referred me into a position. How do I explain it? It was like an experimental group that was trying to understand how to better hire uh, and assess people for the long term. So that that's like a mouthful, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what what they realized at Google, and this is sort of post brain teaser era, is that like we're doing interviews wrong. Like we're running them like first. They day. realized that brain teasers were wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. No and one cares how many golf balls fit in a bus. <laughs> Except for golfers. <laughs> <laughs> golfers who ride buses. <laughs> golfers who yeah, ride buses and need a lot of They care a lot and they should work at Google. Yes. <laughs> So, so at Google, like when they hire someone, they want you to stay for a long time and, and they want you to be successful in, in everything that you do. And so interviewing someone just for that specific role or interviewing them, like based on how much you get along or asking sort of these like first date fluff questions, uh, don't get you very far in terms of like understanding someone's like true, like problem solving abilities or their you know, like their T-shapedness. You've heard of that. It's like mm -hmm. breadth and depth. Maybe explain it for anyone who doesn't know. A T-shaped person has breadth uh, and depth. So Generalism. They're, yeah, they're an expert in one thing, which probably is what they're doing right now. But they also have this breadth of skills that like will hopefully um, apply to, to many disciplines. And it's because like we know this, like people aren't, going to do like it's the 21st century you aren't going to do what you're doing now for the rest of your life like you do something now for a couple of years and then you find something sort of tangential that you like more that appeals to you at that time and then you kind of keep switching roles um and so at google because they want you to be there for a long time um it's important to know that someone's going to be successful in all of these roles at their entire their lifetime at google and so we need to hire or they need to hire for sort of general awesomeness at jobs, not just awesomeness at, at the one job you're interviewing for. So there we came up with like these questions, um, a, like to ask in interviews and past that, like it's how you're assessing the answers to these questions. Like, um, like you need to not be biased in, in what you're looking for in the candidate. But so, that's so much easier said than done, right? Yeah. How do you is. not be biased when you're interviewing someone? It's, it's weird. It's, counterintuitive but it's to take the human out of it so the more structure you put into the interview robots <laughs> you should exactly the self-driving car will interview you <laughs> <laughs> but the less um the, the more structure you put in the more reliable the outcome is the less wiggle room for subjectivity yeah and it's because we're human right we, we rely on things like first impressions and we like we all have biases because they've served us well in our lifetime and and people like to paint these as like bad things i think in general they're good like if we didn't cross the street when we saw a shady looking person like we would get sh shot or something <laughs> We'd, like something bad might happen and so we've learned these things based on like real world practicality and so what all of this structure and all of these questions and this framework does for interviewing is like helps remove your bias and helps like helps you like remember what you were looking for in the first place um could you give an example of like what that structure means is it yeah. Like predefined questions? Is it a like process of interviewing multiple people? What does that structure mean? Yeah. So part of it is the training and like understanding what makes a good interview question and, and all of that, the bias training. But really it boils down to like, I say if I ask you, Brian, like, tell me about a time you, you know, face a difficult challenge. Like this isn't a super novel question. But if you are super nervous or you didn't have that much experience and you just gave me sort of a little stub of an answer and I was I sort of dismissed it like, well, he didn't he's not that sort of experienced. 
that would be one way. And I think that happens often, like it's an interplay between the interviewer and interviewee. But these structured questions, they they have all of the follow-up questions built into them. So it means that I would probe you and I would say like, well, like I would ask you all of these follow-up questions no matter what you said. And then past all of that, the answers that I'm looking for, I would have thought about in advance. So based on your level and based on the question I asked, I would have already known what I was looking for. So it's not so subjective and, and it's not like reliant on my memory and what sticks out to me. It's a matter of me comparing your answer to like a rubric. How do you sync that data across multiple interviewers? Because it's never just one person. Like you could have one person that's really good, but yeah. the reality is you have usually just other, in our case, designers, other designers kind of like pulled into the process, right? How do you sync, How do you level that playing field, I guess? Yeah, so a lot of it is the assessment criteria, um, that rubric. If you guys all work on this, as like, yes, I agree that these are the things I'm looking for in, an in in a candidate. And you're all sort of held to that bar. It's sort of like performance reviews. Like if everyone is using the same measure, then then you can kind of count on that interviewer reliability. Um, but the other part is asking like the same questions. So if you're sick one day, the person who interviews in your place should not, should absolutely not ask their own questions. They should just ask the same questions Um that you might have asked. And they did an interesting experiment at Google where they um, had people run the interviews and then write down the candidates' answers and then had someone else score it. And if you can reach the same hiring decision based on sort of not even being there in the interview, that is an example of like good questions being asked, good notes being taken, and, and like a good criteria for assessment. I'm curious if this is something that you've taken forward as you've gone to Lyft, if we can jump ahead for a minute? Like, yeah. is this something that that you brought in when we're able to establish a better process? So not yet. We've talked about it a little at Lyft, but I will, will say that like for different companies, certain hire, hiring practices are relevant. And I think at the size that we're at, we're just starting to approach that size where it might make sense to build in that structure. So Google... Needs way more structure. Yeah, yeah, Hiring yeah. dozens of designers probably, what, yeah, a month or something. Tons of different people interviewing and hiring committees and people reviewing these packets at the high, highest level. Like, there's it passes through many more hands. Um, and also, like, they're, they're looking at the cream of the crop and they're trying to distinguish between, like, the super awesome people and the extra super awesome people. <laughs> Okay. How long did you do that for? I was at Google for three years. Uh, towards the end of it, I was I started trying to do more design related things. How did that work? That's that's the secret secret magical part of how I became a designer. <laughs> this uh, is where it all happened. Yeah, because yeah, up until now you hadn't yeah actually been designing. Like, it was sort of research, pseudo psychology. It wasn't exactly related to my major, but it made sense. Like people are like, yeah, I get it. Um, so on that team. I, I did a couple of trips to Southeast Asia. Um, I went, this is very fun. I went to Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Thailand on like a Southeast Asia tour to train uh, Southeast Asian interviewers, sales people whose time is very valuable. So we wanted to save them time with this new methodology. And I went out there to train them on this, this thing that we invented. Um, but they didn't want to do it. <laughs> like they were not excited about using our spreadsheet. <laughs> and so um, on that team, we sort of figured like, okay, we need to make this exciting, like not exciting, we need to make it more usable. We need to create an interface and, and a tool for these interviewers to interact uh, with the framework. And so me, along with a couple of engineers at Google uh, on their 20% time, made a very shitty interactive tool uh, <laughs> that we called interactive or I rubrics and people are like, oh, it's I rubrics, but that's like Apple, but you're at Google. Maybe you should check. Oh, something else. G rubrics. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted to call it G rubrics. Rubrics. That's even more Apple. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's basically just like a very simple interface where you can interact with the rubric. And as you were or after your interview was done, it's kind of like a scoring tool or you could, you know, click, 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 and then fill out your feedback, and it would spit out, like, the ratings for the, the interview feedback. It felt like it made interviewing 
interview feedback, which is kind of a pain, easier. I'm curious what your mindset was when you were starting to design that thing. Did you know yeah. that that was like something, did you have this feeling that you wanted to like keep going with design after this project? Or was this truly just a, I need to know this to get X done? Yeah, I think it was more of the former because I'd always kind of been interested in design or design things. Uh, but I think because I grew up, uh, I would say, in a traditional Asian household, being what does like, that mean? Doing Can you unpack that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my parents studied computer science because they didn't need to know English to do that. Right. They came over here from Taiwan uh, and and did computer science because it's what made sense. And so like growing up in Cupertino, the things that that you're expected to become are a doctor, a lawyer or like, yes, like an engineer or something like that. And um, which is why I studied biology at first at UCSD. And which is why I ended up doing psychology, because it was still technically a science, like it was a social science. Um, but it, it was never an option in my mind to, to become like a designer or an artist, because it was just like what starving people do. Right. Like it wasn't a real. Um, <laughs> and we're all starving. <laughs> we're <Vicky>. so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> thirsty. Um, thirsty. Really, we are thirsty. Like, or I, guess, I guess or even more so, like I didn't know anyone that was a designer and like. I didn't feel that throughout high school, I, I like I didn't draw, you know what I mean? Like, and so all of those things combined, I was like, I'm, I, I must choose something more practical. And so in the back of my mind, I was always interested in like the, some of those things like ceramics and like music. It, it wasn't design, but like there were aspects of creativity, I think. And so I had this really amazing manager at Google who has like a real talent for just finding people's talents. And I think she sort of understood that this is the direction I should go. So she she pushed me towards that and also helped me like take like a class at night. And like she sort of allowed me to learn more about design while on in on a team that had nothing to do with design. It's kind of kind of great. Could you share? I'm. I think it's always interesting to hear stories about good managers because I think managers have different opinions of what a good manager is, and I think certainly from my own experience, it's usually not the formal things that you would think about that make a manager good. It's usually like some of the subtler, um, nuanced things that they do, and kind of like what you're saying, helping you find things that they think you're going to be good at. Do you have empathy? Any, yeah. Yeah. Straight up. I'm curious if, <laughs> if you could share more about like how you think your manager knew that or like what your manager did to kind of pull that out of you. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe better for her. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, Speculate. Yeah, I think so when you're on a team like that where you're kind of operating like a little startup because while your main function is this this research thing, in order to evangelize it to the rest of the company, you need other things like you need to run some data and you need to like train people and you need to um, make decks and like sort of, I think she saw who um, gravitated towards what and paired that with like her own understanding of what people's strengths were and then kind of came up with this like, okay, this person can realistically do this. Um, and I think Shannon was her name in particular, um, was really good at like listening it's out, I mean, that's kind of like empathy, but um, and and really good at like making use of one on one time. Um, I think it's really easy to have one on one time that is chats, like casual chatting, which is like fun and like you become friends. But she made it a point to like focus the one on one time on like how can we make the most of this time for you and like your career. And that was the first time I ever had. That was the first time I even had a one on one at Google, like at Google. And so it was very like like mind blowing. I was like, wow, this is like life coaching happening. I'm curious, Bryn, <laughs> do you do, guys do one-on-ones at Sidewire? Some teams do. Some teams spend so much time together talking about a lot of that stuff specifically. So like Michael and I don't do one-on-ones. Okay. But we hang out like constantly and have long conversations about these kinds of things. Like it's, it's not just us having fun. It's talking about like goals and things like that. We've we've been working together for so long before this. But it's it's not a one-on-one -on -one in the sense of like career development. 
and things like that. It's about solving the, the problem at hand. Again, we don't do one-on-ones. Okay. But we definitely have those conversations. Like, I think we know where each other is coming from. So we naturally kind of tend to have those conversations when they need to happen. Mm. This is interesting because mm-hmm. I'm just starting to have my first one-on-ones at, at Facebook oh. right before that. You didn't uh, have them at Buffer? Uh, I guess I had one-on-ones at Buffer. This one is more, these are definitely like more career related. I yeah. think it's interesting to hear other story, other people's stories about like what makes an effective one-on-one. Um, so to hear you say that is is really interesting. It's not, you can become friends with your manager, right? Yeah. But a lot of times it's better when that's not the point of the one-on-one. Right, right. How are you finding yours though? I look forward to them every week. So I think that's a good sign. Um, I think in the day-to-day frantic things going on all the time, it's really hard to just like get your thoughts together. And so to have, for me, it's, uh, just half an hour a week to mm-hmm. like have a focused conversation about higher level topics is like breathing room. It feels like like a a rest stop to talk about important things in the middle of the week, yeah. um, get out of the pixels and things like that. Definitely. So for that reason alone, I, I look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've also found that what helps is like throughout the week, if there's anything ever you're thinking or sort of stuck on or something that's come up, if you write it down, during the week and then save those for your one-on-one with your manager, it, it makes a one-on-one much more useful. Like rather than what pops into my mind Don't wing during it. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you prep for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. agreed. Yeah. Um, so where were we? What happened next? Um, you're at Google. Ah, yes. You're, you took on this project. You toured Southeast Asia. So fun. Uh, and you built this little interface to make parsing the, the interview process a little bit better. Right. Um, so at that point, like we validated that and, and it got passed off to the actual team that works on that internal tool. So that's great. Like it's in, if you work at Google, you might use something like that now, maybe for non-tech hiring. I don't know. Um, and so I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. Like, or at least something like this. There was big questions about like, is it, is it UX or is it UI? Like, I think when you're not in it, there's a lot of words that you don't know like you don't know how they go together. Um, so I tried to learn as much as I could about it. Like I have a lot of books that I still haven't read, but I like bought them and, and I have <laughs> a stack of them. Don't we all? Right. They're, they're nice looking. <laughs> <laughs> they are pretty books because yeah. someone designed them. Yeah. Of course, like the first one you crack open is like the principles of user experience and it's like a textbook and it's super dry. And I think that's what derailed me from reading the rest. It's almost ironic, right? Yeah. The principles of user experience design and yeah, they didn't do boring it. as hell. I've, I've been reading The Interaction of Color and oh my God, the text is really hard. I don't think Joseph Albers spoke English very well, oh. but man, the principles are so good. So I it's thought like, you were going like, to say the pictures like, are so pretty. You feel like dig for gold kind of thing. Yeah. If someone could make some sort of thing about it. An auto gold digger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A gold digger for design textbooks. For design nuggets. Yeah. Ooh, design nuggets. So what happened next? Like you are getting to the end of Google. You know design is kind of the next thing. What did you do? Yeah. So I talked to a bunch of people at Google that were uh, working close to design. Because at that point, I wasn't really sure, you know, a UX researcher was also a viable option because Mm -hmm. I had been doing research. I was interested in design. It kind of made sense it would have made sense to do that. But I was also really just interested in the actual design part. Um, so I talked to a bunch of designers there. They advised me on like the 20% path, which which 20% at Google is the idea that you can take one day a week. Or if you're, if you're not an engineer, I don't even know if they do it like this anymore, but it ends up being like all of your free time. Um, and, and the way it worked there was you should take several a couple years maybe like at least a year with dedicated 20% time where you help out a team at Google with like kind of like intern type work like you do a little bit of design with them or maybe you help them with icons or just sort of stuff to learn the ropes Um, and then after that you should try to transfer internally and Honestly, I, I again, this goes back to like being lazy. I didn't have the patience to to take that path. So I just 
I did two things. Um, I started looking outside of Google, which it's very hard to leave Google once you're there because it's nice there, you know, like they, you could get your, your like teeth cleaned and your hair cut and, and those That's are, what I look those for are, in any job. <laughs> right? Those are sort of like silly perks, but um, they it's comfortable in other ways. Um, they care about your happiness in a very sincere way, and so they try to make you know make it nice to work there. Um, so I I did an internship at Google um, for three months, but but part of the deal there was that I had to leave my my full time job uh, to do the internship. And it was with just a design team there. And I was working with them as like the second quote unquote designer or helper. And um, they didn't have any headcount at the end of three months. So then I just started applying to all of just companies that I knew. Um, some startups, some like I applied to Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, IDEO, I don't know, all Airbnb, the, the sort of the names that you think of when you think of tech companies. And and mostly all of them were like, nope, you don't have any experience. Like I, and all of the job descriptions, I think at a minimum you needed, you know, two to four years and some more. But none of them were like zero to one years of experience. <laughs> job requirements, at least zero <laughs> years of experience. Yeah, none of them were like you should have an interest. Uh, and like a positive attitude, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay if you don't have any yeah. experience. And, and the ones that did, they were for interns, and and I hadn't gone to school for design. And so part of what I considered was like, you know, should I go to CMU? Should I should I try to like go to CCA or get a degree? And so talk to people about that. And there was mixed feedback. Like some people feel strongly about that, and some people, you know, say that like the best way is to just get on the job. It's a little bit of a catch-22 if you can't get a job without the experience. So um, that is true. A couple of places responded to me. I talked to Dropbox a little bit about a design research position, uh, which didn't end up being right. Um, I talked to Twitter about a design team that was doing ads, and and uh, in the end they didn't want me, so I cried about that a little bit. <laughs> and finally I talked to Lyft. And at the time, I didn't know much about Lyft's design team. And I, I think that still might be the case for a lot of people now. Um, what is there to know? Pink. Done. <laughs> hey, it's it's a gradient now. It's pink to mulberry. Duh, Bryn. Yeah. Duh. Have you not noticed? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, because it's just like a thing, it's very transactional. Like you request the ride and really we want you to spend not that much time in the app. And people don't think, of, hadn't thought about it like they thought about like, I don't know, what companies are known for design, like Dropbox and Airbnb. So at the time, Lyft was, Lyft's design team was just two and they had just added on a third designer from the brand team. So it was Frank, our director of design, and Mark, um, a lead product designer, and both of them were there from Zimride days, which was the predecessor to Lyft. Um, it was like a, a long-distance ride-sharing web platform. And then they pivoted to become Lyft, which was like, at the at the time, they called it Zimride Instant because it was like instant carpools. Um, and the third person who they, who they added on from the brand team was an intern named Harrison. Hi, Harrison. <laughs> who named Lyft, Lyft. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and so... He belonged on the brand team. An yeah. intern? Yeah. He named it as yeah, an intern? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, pretty cool. So he, he had been... Sorry, what's Harrison's last name? Harrison Bowden. He, he went to work for Lyft over a summer, made like all the, the... Like some marketing videos, I believe, and then basically John Zimmer asked him to stay and to, to leave college and to stay. And so he stayed. Because if John Zimmer calls you, you, you stay. <laughs> um, but like when that pivot happened, he, um, he named Lyft and it was L-Y-F-T because I think something with the domain name probably, always, as always. Um, domain name availability is the great constraint of product naming. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, uh, and he also designed the logo, which really has remained the same ever since then. So the one, the one guy is responsible. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's quite, quite a claim to flame. Claim, claim to flame. To flame. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Super claim claim to flame. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, Cause so it's fire. <laughs> that logo is fire. It's claim hot, to flame. Hot fire. Hot fire. As if there's others. Not the other kind of fire. <laughs> so he, um, 
it was Frank and Mark. Frank, who was originally a PM. Mark, who was the very first designer. Is that Frank Anderson. you? Mm-hmm. Frank you. And Mark? Mark Hellman. Those three uh, interviewed me. and So I, I was their first external hire um, and their first girl designer, which is like, dude, I don't have any experience, really. I mean, I have other experience, but like in terms of strict design experience, I wasn't like overloaded with it. And like, I'm like this random girl that showed up. Uh, but you heart slug, so done. Yeah, that was it. Harrison's from, no, he's not from, I always get this mixed up. He's not from Minneapolis, but he likes slug too. So the first question we should ask Frank and Mike is, why did you hire Vicky Hart? And Mark, yes. Or Mark. I meant Mark, not Mike, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good question. I think it, it's very interesting because it kind of comes back to, and I've asked them this, but it comes back to the whole like kind of like Google interviewing thing. It, it wasn't that I knew or didn't know design stuff. It was that um, I had other stuff that they felt lent well to design stuff, right? Like... Um, so I basically presented that interviewing work that I did and, and they must have been moved by what was behind that work. Um, and I'll continually hear in reviews that is from Frank that it has to do with like excitement and passion and like drive it. And, and really that, that's all you need to learn. Like anyone can learn the stuff. You just have to want to want to, or to believe you can, I think. I agree. Yeah. I think design is held up on a pedestal, but it's a learnable skill. Well, what I was curious about is actually just going back a little bit to that hiring process and what it was like for you putting yourself out there as someone who admittedly didn't have a whole lot of hard skill design experience uh, applying to the big tech companies. Just talk a little bit about- What made you think you could apply if you don't know what you're doing? (laughs) No, seriously. what, what, What was that like? How did you put yourself out there? What was your- portfolio like how did you try and sell yourself as someone that really wanted this but she's dressed in all black (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's a job requirement for any designer so so it was very scary um and it was definitely a process i think it began just talking to people at google and like i think in the comfort of google it's a little bit more accepted to inquire uh i remember at one point i was like i wrote a email to you know the Creative Lab in New in New York, uh, run by like I think it's Robert Wong. It's like the the Google in house agency, and they're known for like kind of all the the, the flashy stuff that Google does. Um, I'd never heard of that. I haven't heard Creative of it either. Lab? It's Mm-mm. like very. It's like an in house agency, and um, they only. It's very like they only hire like the six or something like every year or some some like very well-known thing in Google. And I remember emailing him. I'm like, hey, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, sir. (laughs) Uh, And then I kind of gave him my spiel. And I was like, would you, what do you think? Like, would you consider taking me on, you know, despite all the things that would say. Holy shit, you just shot for the big leagues first (laughs) right out of the gate. I mean, and I contacted, I basically contacted all the groups in Google that I was interested in. And you only got accepted to NYU. (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly i mean because i figured it couldn't within the sort of comfort of google it couldn't hurt and everyone was very supportive um and if anything the worst that could happen is they could say no or they could want like free help or you know i was just asking for can i help with anything um so there i got a sense for like okay i really have nothing to offer (laughs) <laughs> like and but they gave me tips they were like okay you need to build out your portfolio even if you don't have a design experience you need to put things that represent design or your interest in design so I had some friends who did UX um I did a little hackathon with them um and actually we won uh I didn't do much I think I just designed like the logo or something and I sat there while they did all the work but it was a um it was like a it was like a Google Maps transportation a uh, hackathon where it was, um, what can you do with the Google API that's like most remarkable? And we made like a, it was called Wiggle, I think, like the Wiggle. And it was, you know, when you're riding a bike around the city, like you'll pull out Google Maps and then I'll try to find like the best bike route. And then you'll kind of forget your route half the way if you're like me. This is like, uh, it was a, a web thing where you could preview your route street view like it would be as if you're on the bike riding and then it would pick the least 
the lowest elevation route, kind of like the wiggle. And so that was our thing. Um, Wait, what's the wiggle? The wiggle. What do you mean? What's the wiggle? What are you talking about? <laughs> Both of you are not joking. Not joking at all. How long have you been in San Francisco? Two years. The talking about Lombard Street? No, <laughs> that's the opposite of the wiggle. The wiggle is a bike path that goes kind of through the city. Neither ride bicycles. Oh. Uh, oh, are you even designers? <laughs> nor do I now. Uh, but it's a bike path that goes through the city that uh, kind of wiggles through, I don't know where it's from, like from the mission through uh, somewhere. I'm not good with areas. But um, <laughs> It goes like, from one place far. to another to it another. Goes, like, mission a, to the panhandles, no, like no. <laughs> Maybe eight like blocks? I don't know. Part of the city that can be hilly, but it somehow magics it's a flat way through it. Okay. And it's got like, you'll see the green like things. I think now it wasn't labeled before, but it's just a magical way to get through the city without going up any hills. So that was like the essence of this. This, this, this story thing. makes way more sense now. Ah, <laughs> that was a key piece of information. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, I did things like that. I, I got on, I was kind of really interested in IDEO. Um, I got on this thing called Open IDEO. It's like this uh, open source, I don't know what it's called, community where like they have these challenges that are to solve problems. Like I think mine, the one that I participated in was about like, it, it's this thing where you can get together from people around the world and, and form teams and then basically like create whatever you want to solve this problem that they pose. And so I, I, we participated, I participated in that and I was like this finalist on this thing. And so I found like all these like side projects to work on to like fill my portfolio. I love this answer. You like, ah, yes. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> this is a great answer. People always ask, what do I do? It's like, yeah, you just you find, gotta yeah, do just something, anything, anything, like anything. things that aren't even real things. Like people just are like, okay, anything. I need to come up with a product that's going to make money and put that in my portfolio. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Just no. make something. <laughs> or just anything, like anything that reminds you or. One, you have to want to do it. Like it has to be kind of fun and exciting for you. But just like if you bug all of your friends who are somewhat doing what you want to do, I'm sure they'll have the ideas. And so um, and then I put some of like the Google, you know, it was it was a matter. I like put like decks on like presentation decks that I had made in, in roles and like a T-shirt I had made for for our interviewing team. It was super nerdy. <laughs> like that was what my portfolio consisted of. And um, I, I got on, I was like cargo collective and I was trying to like mm -hmm. figure out CSS and I had to get on Treehouse and learn like a little bit of that. And it was just like, ah, oh, there's so many things. But I did them slowly. I made this portfolio and I sent it out, vickytan.com. <laughs> <laughs> Sick plug. Yeah. It's not active anymore. Oh. I know. I have no use for it. What I know. are you talking but about? Do a white background that says Vicky Tan. Do comma. a black background. It's just a t-shirt. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, my That's bangs. a good idea. And it says great Vicky idea. Tan in white letters across the front and a yeah. nice nope. big nope. Dark, serif. dark, dark gray. Dude, no, with not with a picture of her in the background, like the clothing. Okay. <laughs> it says Vicky Tan, comma, designer, and then it has a link to your Twitter account. Okay. Okay. Wow. Maybe. Come on, see... <laughs> You got to design your own website because this is your this is ah, your canvas. Say to Vicky do. and have like a dark gray heart on a black background. Done. Um, I'll consider both of those suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I will take Pragmatic. both of your uh, <laughs> critiques into consideration. No, but okay. So if you told me like you mentioned, like I don't know why Lyft hired me. If you told me that story for like trying to get hired, I'd be like fuck yeah, people should hire her. Well, it's. I think as I tell it to you now, it's it's a nice story. But like when you're when you're a hiring manager or even a recruiter, and you're looking at all these applications come through, like that isn't that might be nice, but it's not like effective. Like it, it that's not like the best experience person to versus hire. hustle. I don't know. I pick hustle. <laughs> it depends on the stage of the company. I hate the word yes, hustle, I, but I think it depends. I on don't the know stage. how else to say it. Mm -hmm. Someone who will like do what it takes to get something done. Mm, maybe it's very different. Like yeah. I know a lot of experienced designers who just don't want to do shit. Grit. No. Yeah. Yeah. Determination. True grit. <laughs> so advice to to that hiring manager that's looking at your resume two years ago. Mm. Obviously, a strong hire. <laughs> hashtag strong hire like yeah. how do we how do we build a hiring process that isn't exclusive to young new designers but have that 
hustle, for lack of a better word, to become good and to learn. And they want this,、uh, yeah. but the hiring process just naturally excludes them. How do we solve that? Answer all. <laughs> answer the industry's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. questions. I mean, so the other part of the hiring process was the exercise. So he saw the interview. We had a phone call.、Um, But I still had to do the exercise that every single experienced or not designer does,、um, and so I think there you can show、uh, what you're willing to do on the spot. Like you basically have a weekend.、Uh, at the time, I was like redesign lifts、uh, rating and payment thing. We don't do that anymore,、um, and so I just spent the whole weekend trying to do that.、Um, and so. I think for the hiring managers, it's good to have that that bar in place. You certainly don't want to accept any old person off the street with no experience and and nothing to show for it. So one, like, do you have a portfolio that's filled with at least a good show of effort?、Um, and two, like, past that, can you do this exercise well, or so, it, whether it's an exercise or it's like an in person problem solving thing or something? That's like the other half of it because it gives all the new designers a chance because everyone is on the same playing field there. Like we don't give you any assets, we don't give you any ideas. Like you have all the same time, and it doesn't really matter if you've worked at a big company or a small company or a big team or whatever. Like this is just you and your brain and like the shitty tools you may or may not know. <laughs> so at the time, I only knew Illustrator and like he the shittiest of tools. I know. I was like, ah,、oh. ugh. But learning on Illustrator makes me a very bad sketch user. Cause and you guys will hate this. I never use the layer panel. What? I know. What does your sketch file even look like? It looks. I don't know. The layers panel. Rectangle three thousand four hundred twenty-two. Copy, copy, copy. Yeah. The way it looks on the artboards is fine, but like the insides are. Oh, Vicky Tan, not a production designer. <laughs> I'm working on it though. It's one of the things that will help me be like a better team designer. Because when someone else works on my thing, they're like, "Holy, what the fuck? Smoke! This is Vicky's file." Command click all the things. Yeah. But so I think Frank has done a good job of. So our whole team has、um, non, I would say non-traditional design background designers. As a long way of saying it, but like we've got people who studied like econ and at you know. I don't know what Mark said, like mechanical,、uh, something else.、Um, Harrison studied film, but the, no one studied design. No one went to design school,、um, and and it makes for like a very diverse and interesting conversation.、Um, and it also makes like it makes the team very approachable. I think because when I was interviewing at some other startups,、um, when you interview with a team of like. All guy designers, as they、uh, sorry, all guy design group, as they tend to be,、um, and they all like are well known for being designers.、Um, it's it's a very different feeling than interviewing with a team of like people who are sort of self starters, like taught themselves and and came together that way. It's like the Isle of Misfit designers. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That sounds negative, but <laughs> that's not what I mean at all. No, it's, it's more like. Captain, Wasn't the Isle of Misfit Toys the heroes? I think that's endearing. Yeah, not yeah. not insulting. Yep.、Um, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Because I think I'm not trying to give anyone excuses, but it's a little bit of a catch twenty two if your design team is all males、mm-hmm. and they're interviewing someone. Like how how does that come across to someone in, in your position? And also, like, what are steps that A team that, by whatever circumstances, all males. How can they be better about being, not, not giving off whatever vibe you got? I guess. Yeah, that's that's very interesting.、Um, I mean, some of it boils down to just the individuals and and their attitude. It's, Fair. It's not、yep. just that the team seems like it's you know、uh, ego egotistical or has a lot of ego. It's that like there actually was. Yeah, on any、uh, with any individual designer. There is some level of like, yeah, I'm kind of badass, and rightly so. <laughs> like, if they are, then you should be.、Um, but how can you not like?、Uh, there's confidence, and then there's、right. like cocky, right? It's a fine line. Also, also, if you're like a, a new designer too, you, it can be intimidating.、Um, but like knowing you're good and like, like, yeah, no, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of a big deal. Like, yeah, knowing you're good and saying out loud that you know you're good are two different things. 
And then you throw in the interviewing context where like you're grilling somebody or, or yeah, you're asking them to answer all yeah. these questions. It's very tricky. Um, do you know Ryan Putnam? I do not. Or like Mackie Saturday. I do know him. He's so humble. Yes. But he's like borderline legendary, right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. so incredibly talented. Yeah. So that that so to answer your question, like that is what hopefully you should try to do. I mean, part of it is being self-aware that like I know I'm good, but like I can't I might be coming off a certain way. Um and some of it is just like company culture stuff like catching yourself when you are saying or doing things that might be offensive to people who aren't exactly like you. And I think that that's what Silicon Valley is going through right now and learning about like diversity and bias and all that stuff. Like, I think a lot of it is like, oh, I just, I didn't know that when I um, make like those jokes that someone might be offended. Cause it's just like harmless or they seemingly harmless. Hard. Yeah, seemingly harmless. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that the majority of designers went to design school or like studied for design? Cause not many that I know did. Hmm. My experience from probably half that mm-hmm, I meet mm-hmm. are design school. Yeah, I would. I mean, maybe half, but like, if not design school, then maybe something like graphic design or something related to something creative. Maybe hmm. I don't know though. That's a good. I'm trying to like think back of the people I've listened to on here and what's the spread. It's been like half. Yeah. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. I think it's like less than a third. Really? Yeah. Well, design school side. You, Going to design school doesn't make you an arrogant or egotistical designer. Right, right, um, right, so right. I think that's separate. But I think it's it's I, extra information that that might not necessarily impact. As fun as the joke was, I think Isle of Misfit Toys is like a very it's like a misnomer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I think that's kind of the trend. At least for people who are designers now, because yes. maybe there wasn't a UX discipline or like I don't a, think there even has to be. Yeah. But, well, now you can study like HCI or, or all the things that mm-hmm. uh, like expectedly lead into product design or, or UX, whereas before uh, there wasn't that quite yet. So you had to come from like one of three places, like some sort of visual design or interaction design, some sort of cognitive psychology or computer science or something like that. Um, what was your question, though? It was about how, how Lyft has built the design culture. Ah, Maybe even start by defining the design culture at Lyft. So the one piece we know is uh, the designers tend to not come from a design background. How did we build that culture? I mean, so that's that's Frank, our, who, who has hired every single person. Um, and I think just like Shannon, so I think he sees... Shannon, your manager at Google? Yep. Um, they both have the ability to see like that kernel of like specialness in people and so like I don't know if that means like turning off your regular like lens for for looking for hotshot designers or or, sorry good designers um I'm looking like it's very easy to be like look at their dribble look at their like resume look for the past companies that are validating and and these things I think he's done a really good job of like considering those but as well like other things um and I think, like, when you start with that, it's very easy to breed that. Um, and and the people who are attracted to that are like that. You know what I mean? And so, like, we interview people and people get so excited because we're so excited about them. And, like, it's, it's just very, like, a it's a sort of circular process where it, it works well for itself. All right. We're over time. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Um, my all black website, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't make it yet, but I will. Can you have it up by next Wednesday when this, <laughs> when this episode airs? I will try my hardest. Seriously. I'll link to it. Okay. Um, I just, if that's uh, not motivation <laughs> enough to invest hours of your own time to building a website, then yeah. I don't know what it is. For yeah. the 20 people that will actually read the show notes. <laughs> hey. hey. If you, I read the if, show notes the other day. If you don't normally read <laughs> the show notes, time. read them today because <laughs> vickytan.com is up and running. 15,000 people listen, well, 20 read the show notes. That's a big promise. Um, I just want to plug uh, the Lyft design team. I know we just talked about them at the end, but really um, 
in the last two years, I feel like everyone on the team is why I'm a designer now. Uh, and, and like, that's very special to me. It's kind of been like a long time in coming. Like I've, I've spent like six or seven years doing what was kind of like the wrong thing. And so they taught me every single, every single thing I know. And like, it's just exciting. Like we just redesigned the passenger app. Like I went to App Occurrence. We're giving like a talk at Thoughtbot. I'm on design detail. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so like it's all because of them and like everyone that helped me along the way. There was lots of life coaching and like um, supporting. And as well, we're hiring. Um, we're looking like we our whole company is probably going to, I don't know, double in the next year. Um, lots of exciting things with autonomous and like international sort of expansion partnering with like the people who are doing really well and like we partnered with Didi, Ola, Grab Taxi. And so we're hiring um now we're hiring leads and and sort of like people who can help raise the bar. Um no more of me's. No. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure. I think once we hit the next sort of wave of once we hire enough leads then I think we we can start hiring uh, entry and lower level again. And I think it's a cycle. Um, but yeah, so please reach out to me if you're interested in working with us. At VickyTan.com. At, at, <laughs> at Vicky Hart on Twitter. Vicky Hart on Twitter. <laughs> Just yes. giving you a hard time. Yes. Cool. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. This thank was you fun. Thank you. This is great. Thanks, Vicky. That was episode 111. It's a lot. I like it. It's a nice one. Let's get more. Non-round but pretty repeating number. Not round but pretty repeating. Yeah. Because those are mutually exclusive things. I don't know. 111. That's a lot of episodes. Thanks for listening. If you've been listening along for a while, thanks for doing it. Uh, Leave us a review on iTunes. Those help us out a ton. Uh, We keep plugging it on the show. But really, if you have a few minutes and you've been listening to the show, or even if this is your first episode, uh, just pulling up your phone or computer, opening up iTunes, uh, leave us a star rating or comments. We'd love to read that feedback. Uh, if you have suggestions for us, that's a great place to do it as well. And every rating basically tells iTunes to push us up the charts a little bit, helps new people find the show and helps us keep doing what we're doing. So leave us a rating again. We really appreciate it. Before we go, we want to thank our two incredible sponsors for this episode. These are people who've supported us for so long and we like couldn't thank them enough. So Wayno is like the best agency in the world. We love them. You should love them. And they're sponsoring the show because they just want to support us. They want you to know that they exist. So go check them out. They're at wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Just browse their work. It's design inspiration in its purest form. And if you need a job, they're hiring. Click the careers link in their header and tell them we sent you. Our second sponsor, once again, Dropbox. Dropbox is a syncing service that lets you work the way you want on any kind of file, whether that's Sketch, PSD, if you're writing code, if you're doing whatever it is with any device, phones, computers, really anything. Like anything that can access the internet can pretty much run Dropbox. From wherever you are, with anyone you choose, so you can start building awesome things. Go check them out at dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox. We'll see you on Monday.